Amen. Praise God. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you so much. Amen. Didn't you enjoy the worship this morning? Yeah. God is good. God is good. Well, we're doing a series called Oh, Taste and See That the Lord is Good. And every week we have paired up something in Psalm 34 with one of our banquet courses. And uh, just like all good things must come to an end, today we're going to be serving dessert. So the title of my sermon is Tiramisu. In Italian, this would be correctly pronounced tiramisu. We Americanize it and we call it teramisu or teramisu. Tiramisu. Tiramisu, how many of you don't know what tiramisu is? As a dessert. As a dessert. Who doesn't know what it is? Okay. A few of you. That's all right. All right. Well, tiramisu is a coffee coffee-flavored dessert, but it goes a lot more than that. It's made from lady fingers. Who knows what lady fingers are? Okay. Lady fingers are a, a low-density, airy kind of cookie or biscuit, and uh, they're actually quite tasty. This is a lady's finger, and tiramisu is made up of lady fingers, soaked in a little bit of coffee, and then layered upon layer. As you soak them, each one is layered, and then there's a layer of mascarpone, which is a creamy cheese used in desserts, together with eggs and sugar all whipped up together. And then you put another layer of ladies' fingers, and they, they have a sweetness to them just all on their own. Have you ever had a lady's finger? Well, you can put your lady's fingers in there and take one out. How's that? Have you ever had a lady's finger? Mom, you want one? Go on, Carol. Now, What's important about tiramisu? By the way, something I learned from my dad. My dad was born in Naples, and he met my mother in Naples, and uh, they corresponded through love letters for over 12 months, and uh, finally my grandparents allowed my mother to marry my dad. These were the old days. And... Uh, Dad was able to come to America because they were getting married. And uh, <clears throat> one of the things my dad used to do is after every meal, he would have a, a cup of Italian coffee, black Italian coffee. And he would um, get a piece of Italian bread and dip it in his coffee and eat it. And so when they first got married, my mother would see him every meal afterwards. He'd ask for his cup of Italian coffee and he'd get the bread and dip it in the coffee 
and eat it and drink. And so the next night she made a bigger meal, a little bit bigger. You know, she figured Alfonso was a bit hungry. I'm going to make a little bit more. And uh, the next night he pulls out his uh, Italian bread and uh, Italian black coffee and he dips the bread in there. My mother's thinking, this guy eats like a horse. And so the next night she cooked a little bit more. And finally, after three or four nights, she says, I don't get it. Am I not cooking enough for you? He says, oh, no. He says, we grew up drinking black coffee and dipping our bread in the black coffee. He said, that's, that's my dessert. See, so I'm going to dip my lady's finger. Mm. It's like dipping an Oreo or a chocolate chip cookie in your milk. So what's tiramisu got to do with the message this morning? Well, other than the decadent, rich flavor of tiramisu, which you're going to get to eat today, we're going to have samplings outside in the foyer. There's something very unique about the name. Tiramisu only started to appear in cookbooks, the the actual name and the actual cake, uh, somewhere around the 60s and the 70s. So its origin is still a little bit of a mystery, exactly who was the first person to come up with this idea of soaking uh, lady fingers in coffee and layering it with mascarpone. Um, But obviously, it's an Italian dessert, The name is an Italian word, and it literally means, it's made up of three words. Tira, which means to pull. Mi, M-I, which is me, M-E. And su, S-U, which means up. So tira musu means pull me up. So that's the literal translation. If you were to take the exact English word for each Italian word in the equation, it would be a pull-me-up. In the vernacular, it simply translates, this is a pick-me-up cake, you see? And so tiramisu is a pick-me-up cake, and you're going to have the opportunity later to have restaurant-quality tiramisu. The same tiramisu that's served in high-end restaurants, we're going to be serving to you today. How's that? All right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the question is still, what has this got to do with the sermon? So I'm going to ask you to just walk with me a little bit, and we're going to start breaking this down. We've been looking at Psalm 34. David wrote this psalm, and As we've been doing this series, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, God has definitely been showing us some pretty cool things. And so today, I want to pick up with verse 17. Verse 17, in the middle of this psalm, David says, the righteous cry out. Now, sometimes people get disappointed when they try to stand on one of the promises of God because it doesn't seem to work out. This verse, and I've cut the sentence in half, the righteous cry out, but it goes on to say, and the Lord hears them and he delivers them from all their troubles. But I've deliberately stopped 
after the first few words because the first few words are a qualifier to this promise. Everybody say qualifier. The first few words are a qualifier. It says, the righteous cry out. Now I talk on righteousness from time to time here in this church. And for those of you who are familiar with the things that I teach here and have taught here, first and foremost, none of us could ever be good enough on our own effort to get saved. It's the grace of God. The law teaches us the more we try to fulfill the law, the more we're going to fail prior to Christ because we were bound by a sinful nature. And so the law was actually given to us to show us the incredible high standard of God's own character so that as we valued it and admired it and aspired to it, we would see that something was inherently broken in us because we can't do it. And so like Paul says, the law was the schoolmaster or the teacher that took us by the hand and brought us to the realization that all of our, goody wor- good, all of our good works are like dirty rags. And we actually need a savior to set us free from the sin machine that is inside of us before we come to Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement? The second point that I normally teach on righteousness is that because we come to Christ, because we acknowledge and take accountability for our mistakes, and I said accountability, Because repentance is all about accountability. Let me explain something to you. We like to talk about the fact that God is love. And uh, we have cultured a concept that God just forgives us because he's a blubbering ball of love. And you know, most parents love their kids. But when my children were young, we taught them the rules of the house, even at a young age of three, four, and five. And we'd make very clear, simple rules. We'd keep it very simple, but important rules. And we would explain to them that if they broke rules, sometimes there were consequences. So if mommy said, don't do that, you don't do that. If daddy says, don't do this, you don't do this. It doesn't matter if daddy's not looking. Even when daddy's not looking, if he said, don't do it, you don't do it, right? And usually we would explain why. Why we say don't do something because there are consequences that will either hurt them or hurt their brother or sister or hurt other people. And uh, so when they would make a mistake, unfortunately, some people think that the idea of discipline is to be angry and to yell. And we would sit down with our kids and we would say, now, what is it that you did? I did such and such. Well, what did mommy and daddy say about that? It's wrong. 
Why is it wrong? And then they would give the answer why it was wrong based on what we had taught them. And then we would say, well, what did mommy and daddy say would happen when you did something wrong? And they would explain that, you know, we might have time out or we might get a little spanking. Okay? Well, I want to tell you that now I have to do what I said. I don't like doing it. But I want you to know I love you so much. You see, we would take them to a place where they would acknowledge their actions and what they did and take accountability. You say, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old? Yeah. Absolutely. You see, God holds us accountable. When David had sinned with Bathsheba and became guilty of murder, God actually sent the prophet to him with a parable of a wealthy man who had guests coming over and he had thousands of sheep. And his next door neighbor was a poor man who only had one little lamb. And the rich man in all of his pomp and his ceremony and self-importance decided, you know what? I'm going to jump the fence or have one of my servants jump the fence and take my neighbor's land, lamb so that I'm not short on the thousands of sheep I have. And so they sacrificed this man's one lamb. And the prophet's telling David this story. He says, oh, great king, what should be done to this man? David said he should be executed. What a vile thing. And then Samuel, the prophet, turns to David and says, you are the man. Why? Why did God go to such an elaborate extent? Because to just forgive us of sin without recognition and accountability is to actually reinforce wrong thinking and wrong behavior. And the wrong thinking, if it's not recognized as sin, and if we don't take accountability of it, wrong thinking and wrong behavior will become a pattern, and a pattern will become a habit, and a habit will become a habitation for a strong man. You see, a habitation is a stronghold, and some demon will get inside of that line of thinking and that habit of behavior and he will steer you and guide you from for the rest of your life from this little fortress he now has inside of you and so while God is love he loves us too much to just play wishy-washy games with us he doesn't hold the baseball bat over our heads he loves us uh, you know, we talk about discipline and we think of the extreme of a parent being an embarrassed or angry and they just go ballistic. God disciplines me and I trust him because he disciplines me, number one, he understands me. Nobody gets me like he gets me. I'm not saying nobody gets me. Nobody gets me like he gets me. And nobody can get to me like he can get to me. Can I get an agreement here? Yeah. But because he loves me, he doesn't just say, well, you know what? I'm not going to make an issue of it. Just let him go on. I love the guy. I know he didn't mean anything about it. Because if he did that, he would actually be empowering me 
to continue in the same line of thinking that brought a hurt to someone. But he will bring it to my attention so that I can see it, recognize it, take accountability of it, and start eradicating the premise of that behavior from my life. And the premise usually starts with an attitude. I'm glad, you know, that was a preacher's daughter that said amen. How many more preacher's kids can I get an amen from? And so what we don't take accountability for will become a pattern of lifestyle. And the pattern will become a habit and the habit will become a habitation And the habitation is the stronghold, and a demon is the strong man, and he'll live in it. Good preaching, Pastor Rom. So because God loves us, he gets very honest with us. Not with judgment, not legalistically, not threatening us, but he loves us. And he's honest, and he embraces us, and he understands us but he still tells us the truth. How many of you would feel safe in an environment like that? Amen, absolutely. So there's a qualifier. And David says, the righteous cry out. Now we know the end of this verse says that God will hear them and God will answer, but the qualifier is the righteous cry out. Well, I know I don't live a perfect life 100% of the time. So does that mean God's going to ignore me? No, Jesus defined righteous this way. He said, there are three immutable, unchangeable laws. They are the laws of the universe, and they are the laws that sum up the whole word of God. And they are as follows. And this is what Jesus said. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. You need to put him in place number one. First place. And then you should love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? And they actually asked Jesus this as he was preaching. They said, well, who's my neighbor? I got to love my neighbor. Qualify who my neighbor is. And Jesus said, even the person who's your enemy is your neighbor. Love your neighbor and love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. There are three relationships that are absolutely imperative to get right. Your relationship with God, your relationship with the people around you, and your relationship with yourself. And so as we describe uh, relationships here, and uh, I don't know uh, if my guys up the back, I didn't give them a heads up on this, can we, uh, can we lift point one and put it on the screen, the whole point? Is that doable? Give them a big round of applause. They're just, they're incredible. Rule number one, or not rule, but point number one, run after God. God must be number one in everything or else he's number two. And if he's number two, your number one just became an idol in your heart. Whenever your number one isn't God, your number two is standing between you and God.
There is a divine order. People talk about the cosmos. And everything in the universe works harmoniously until you come to earth. And then among men, there is disorder. And disorder will always bring distrust and confusion. God is a God of order, not a God of confusion. And God has an order. And it's a divine order. And in relationships, if you want other relationships to work right, you need to have God at the head of your relationships. Why? First of all, because he's the source and the beginning and the end of all things. But secondly, we live in a world that's gone cockamamie, and so everybody does what's right in their own eyes, and therefore everyone has a different value system, and they have a different uh, set of values whereby they adjudicate their lives. When we come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, God has a perfect value system and a perfect uh, um, lifestyle system and it's written in his word and if we all become accountable to God then we're accountable to his word and we will all be measured and measure each other by the same system you see for example God says love your neighbor as yourself and you know what that says I can't do anything to my neighbor that I wouldn't want done to me I've often said you could take any one principle of God, any one, and if you applied it universally around the world, this planet we live on would be drastically better. So let's try that for a moment. I say this often in my sermon, so let's try this for a moment. If we would love our neighbor the way we love ourselves and never do anything to anyone else, <clears throat> that we wouldn't want done to ourselves. From the White House to the Senate to governors in every state to the people on the streets to the interaction of presidents and leaders of nations around the world. If we applied universally this one principle, how many of you think, this place would be a heck of a better place to live in. That's how powerful the principles of God are. Any one truth of God, if we could universally make it absolute in the lives and the hearts of every person, just any one single principle of God would make a major difference. And I'm here to tell you that one of the things that is absolute premium to God is relationship. And the first relationship he wants is a relationship with you. The second relationship he wants comes out of the first relationship because as I love God, God will love me and start to heal the garbage inside of me that comes out when I'm dealing with other people. Amen. And so 
loving God and being loved by God starts to rearrange the trashed furniture in my living room and it starts to get me fixed up so that the way I deal with other people is from a healed place, not from a broken place. Can I get an amen? We go from broken relationship into a new relationship because there was something wrong with that person. But in God's economy, there are no disposable relationships because there are no disposable people. And that's why God says, point number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the same way I said run after God, we have to run after others. We have to run after each other. If you could put point number two up. People, they're ahead of me. Awesome. Thank you, guys. People and the relationships with those people aren't disposable commodities. Run after. Pursue right relationships. Listen. We, <laughs> what did Jesus die on? Okay. It wasn't meant to be a hard question. And it wasn't a trick question. So I'm going to ask it again. What did Jesus die on? What did he tell us to pick up? Our cross. What is the cross? It's a place where we die to ourselves. We die to our pride. We die to our anger. We die to our justification. We die sometimes even to our rights. You see, in a relationship, you will never have completely successful relationships unless you're also willing to die. Die to your pride. Die to your anger. Die to your offense. Look, relationships can be really difficult. In fact, most relationships are. I mean, if it, look, I, I, I'm going to give you another principle. It's universally true. If everyone I dealt with thought exactly like me, I would have no problems. <laughs> and if everyone you dealt with, thought exactly like you, you wouldn't have any problems. But we're different. And we have different viewpoints and perspectives. We have different experiences and different hurts and different scars and different bites from the relationships we've been through. But we need to learn that as born-again Christians, if we're going to walk in righteousness, God says you need to run after relationships even that are broken. It's our responsibility to go the extra mile and to go to our brother or go to our sister and to do everything within our ability to get it right. Now, it takes two people, but it only takes one to go to the other person. The other person may not be a willing party, and you may go once, and the Bible says go twice. And the Bible says go three times. Now I can't guarantee that every relationship will be fixed. But what I have to guarantee God is that I'm going to go the extra mile and do my best to bring reconciliation to a situation. 
Reconciliation isn't a meeting where we justify why we're right and the other person is wrong. Reconciliation is where we sit down with an open mind because maybe I offended you and in my perspective, I never saw it. And maybe the thing you did, I've interpreted according to my value system and it was highly offensive, but in your heart, it didn't mean a thing. And my interpretation is totally different than what came out of your life. You see, it saddens me that this late get, at, at this late point in the game of life, we still don't know how to sit down with the other person and have a level-headed talk. And I find that a level-headed talk starts by bringing my mind back to, hang on a second, don't presume you know what they did and don't presume you're right sit down shut up have an open mind and ask them so from your perspective what was going on how many of you can see what i'm saying look how you get it done will vary from scenario to scenario I am not so lame that I think there's going to be a one approach that fits all. But what I am preaching today is what God preaches and that people are not disposable. And therefore relationships are disposable. And we live in, a, in an age of technology where relationships have become nothing more than an extension of technology. And I can unfriend you as quickly as I can friend you. At the end of that unfriending is a person who has great value in God's eyes. And at times that person might be you. At times that, might, that person might be somebody who got you really annoyed and upset. And God says we got to run after relationships and do the best we can to bring reconciliation and restoration and the best way to bring reconciliation is not telling the other person what they did wrong, but sitting down and both parties starting at neutral, ground zero, erasing all of your preconceived thoughts and say, okay, let's talk about this. What did you mean when you did this, this, and this, or you said this and this? Personally, I got offended because this was my interpretation, but let me hear your interpretation. You see, we come to the table of reconciliation with our boxing gloves on. And we won't get anywhere that way. We both have to be willing to climb up on the cross and die. How many of you know that dead men don't have arguments? <laughs> Praise God. Relationship is an important thing. And I have found it's too easy to misunderstand somebody's actions. I have found over and over and over again a certain person did this, this, and this. I could tell you in detail what they did and what it means and how it affected me, and I am offended. And immediately, if I don't give that person the opportunity in a neutral environment to talk, I've judged them, I've sentenced them, 
I've condemned them, but the only person who's really in prison is me. Relationships, they're really important to God because relationships are people. And so God talks about righteousness as a heart that always wants to do right so that they can be right, wants to fix things. And here in the body of Christ, as born-again Christians, as your pastor, I'm going to tell you, you need to fight very hard against the attitude that's in the world. We don't fight that hard enough because a lot of the attitude that's in the world is in the church. And it shouldn't be. It's in us. And we get all indignant and all huffy and all offended and we judge everybody based on our wounds, our bruises, etc., etc. And we need to start the conversation with open arms. We start most conversations of reconciliation with closed fists. I guess I preached the wrong message today. (laughs) Having said all that, the third relationship that we have to really get right is loving ourselves. And if we could put number three up, run after yourself. Respect yourself also. You're not cheap, so don't sell yourself short. And, and, and there's a balance. There's a balance. Some of us are too up ourselves. And some of us are falling over to make everybody else happy at the expense of ourselves. And God never called you to be the sacrificial lamb. He called you to make sacrifices. He didn't call you to be the sacrificial lamb. And so in relationships, I run after people. Not only as a shepherd, I run after people. Sometimes I run more than I have legs to run. Not everyone responds in kind. And I don't succeed at every relationship. But if I run after them, I have succeeded. But there comes a point where if it cannot be reconciled, I have to also respect myself and love me and draw a boundary. Because otherwise I start to disrespect myself And the more I throw myself or run after that person, I empower them because of my softness. Now, I said draw a line in the sand and create boundaries, didn't I? Can I have the second half of number three up on the screen? I said set boundaries. I didn't say set barriers. There's something healthy about creating boundaries. There's something very unhealthy about creating barriers. And most times when we've been hurt, we create barriers. Do you know who uses barriers? The devil does. 
And the Apostle Paul says that part of spiritual warfare is the fact that the devil will build high lofty things in our head. He creates barriers. God doesn't build barriers. God is all about truth and truth is transparent. And transparency doesn't have barriers. It has boundaries. This is right, this is wrong. Truth has boundaries. This is right, this is wrong. I'm going to say it again. Truth has boundaries. This is okay, that's not okay. Truth doesn't have barriers because truth is honest and therefore it's transparent. Wow, that was powerful. And so when we love ourselves, we're supposed to set boundaries, not barriers. We get hurt, and so we create barriers. Let me tell you something. Every barrier you create will also inch out the Spirit of God. You may not intend to do that, but you will do that. Because God cannot be a part of, a, of an argument. He will always be a part of reconciliation. John says, how can you say you love God, you worship him so freely, but you're ready to stab that guy if he comes near you? When we create barriers, they are responses to the hurts and the wounds. And they may be bona fide hurts and wounds, but barriers are never bona fide. You know, Jesus always left himself vulnerable. He said, well, I don't want to do that. If you're going to follow him, he said, take up your cross. On the cross, you'll always be vulnerable. Hello? Amen. Amen. So uh, I also write, uh, after I put set boundaries, not barriers, could I have what comes underneath it? Setting boundaries is the delicate art of learning where to draw the line so that you're not disrespecting yourself and not building an impenetrable wall either. Every righteous boundary will have a gate in it. Because there's always the opportunity to let the other person back in. Are you hearing me? Am I preaching anybody here today? Can I share a secret with you? You might think to yourself, man, he he preaches so easily. It just flows. What's not easy about preaching is that it preaches to me first. And God is always dealing with my heart. So now I've just, I try to beat him to the punchline before he starts dealing with my heart. I say, God, deal with my heart. I find it's a good way to live. Having an attitude of God deal with my heart. But listen to this. So we've just, we've looked at the qualifier. We understand what righteousness is. Living in right relationship with God. Learning to live in right relationship with others. Even to the point of making every effort to live in peace with all men. Just like the New Testament tells us, but also respecting ourselves, loving ourselves, and putting righteous boundaries, not barriers. 
And the, David goes on to say, and when we live like that, when it's our lifestyle to live in right relationship with God, God is number one, and we're going to live trying to be peacemakers. What did Jesus say about peacemakers? Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the reconcilers of relationship. Blessed are those who understand my heart, for they shall be known as sons of God. Hallelujah. If there's one thing I want to be known as, it is a son of God. I want to tell you that the first person or the first group of beings that will know you as sons of God when you're a reconciler of relationships is the demonic world. Because they're forever putting relationships at odds and a peacemaker is forever taking the fire hose of God and putting out the devil's works. Amen. So David says that God hears the cry of the righteous. He hears them and he delivers them from all troubles. I love that. He delivers them from all troubles. There's a qualifier, but then there's also a, a comeback, and that is when we qualify, God will be on the scene. Can I get an amen? I love it when God shows up because he's bigger than life, and he's always bigger than the troubles I've seen. Now, at this point, I could break out in a song and say, nobody knows. The troubles I've seen. <laughs> He's always bigger than the troubles that uh, come against us. And God's promise is that when we get relationship right and we're making a genuine effort, God will show up on the scene when trouble shows up on the scene. Amen. Amen. Verse 18 follows on and he says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Sometimes in relationships that we've tried to work out have busted our heart. They've damaged us. They've broken us. And it's okay to acknowledge that sometimes they leave a devastating mark inside of us. And in the Hebrew, in this verse, the word brokenhearted is in the Strong's. We use a Strong's analytic concordance in every word in the Old Testament, you could look it up and see the reference number and go back to what the original Hebrew word was. And then you can do the same in the New Testament in the Greek. And so in the Strong's reference uh, dictionary, this word brokenhearted is H7665, and the word is Shabar. And it means a fractured heart or a fractured soul. We get fractured in life. We get fractured. Sometimes we just get downright broken, but lots of times we have, whether they're hairline fractures or not. Listen, you could have a hairline fracture. I don't know about your hair, but my hair is pretty thin and getting thinner. You can have a, that was a joke. Right. On cue, one, two, three. Uh, yeah, we were better with the first one. All right, uh, a hairline fracture um, can be really, really thin, and you won't even feel it until pressure is applied. 
And where there's pressure, it exerts energy on the hairline fracture, and the distance between the two portions start to increase as pressure is applied and the pain increases. And we could have hairline fractures in our soul, and we can have just downright broken huge gaps. Jesus said the Spirit of the Lord, when he came, he said, he started his ministry, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to set at liberty those that have been bruised and to take the broken hearts, the fractured soul, and bind it up and make people whole. I love a God like that, don't you? Because he doesn't just talk about relationship, he proves that relationship is a premium to him by how he loves us. If you've ever experienced that, why don't you give the Lord a clap right now? But David says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Listen, if you're brokenhearted, if there are wounds and scars and you might not be a puddle of, uh, 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 or a pool of weeping at the moment, but there are issues that have scarred you and hurt you, the Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted. Why? <laughs> because he sent Jesus to bind up the brokenhearted. That divorce, that failure in relationship, that broken uh, fracture in friendship, the things that have disappointed, the things that have set us on our can and, and swimming in confusion, they're important to God because they're the things that can either destroy us and they're usually sent to destroy us. But God wants to be near the brokenhearted so that it doesn't destroy us. He wants to put his hands on the situation so that it will make us and make us whole. Amen. Can I get an amen? It says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed. Now in the Hebrew, that word crushed isn't what you would think, especially in the context here. God has an amazing way of covering every end of the spectrum. On the one hand, he's talking to the person who's brokenhearted. They're the victim that something's been perpetrated against them. They've been injured. They've been wounded. But the word crushed in the Hebrew is H1793, Daka, and Daka means contrite or repentant. But the reason why they use the word crushed is because it literally means you are crushed by the weight of conviction. And so what's really fascinating about verse 18 is this. On the one hand, God is talking to the victim who's brokenhearted. On the other hand, he's talking to the perpetrator who created the devastation but is now at a place of repentance. And God says to both of them, <laughs> I love this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are repentant for the injury and the hurt that they've caused. Wow. 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 I've been hurt, but sometimes I hurt. And most victims become perpetrators somewhere in life. And I love the fact that God in his 
<laughs> awesomeness is big enough to cover both spectrums of broken relationships and he's there to hear the cry of the one who's been wounded and he's there to hear the cry of the one who takes accountability and recognizes they've done wrong and they've come to a place of being contrite. They've repented. You know, David committed a, 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 an egregious sin, a terrible thing. He not only committed adultery, but to cover up his sin, he committed murder. We do that a lot today in society. We actually have legalized it. In Psalm 51, verse 16 to 17, David says, God, you don't delight in sacrifices. I would have brought it. What? Here's David steeped in the law. He understands the Mosaic law and if a man sins, he brings a lamb, and the lamb is sacrificed. The priest sacrifices it, and uh, uh, atonement, forgiveness is made for the man, and he's even covered with that blood to show the redemption. Another took his place, and when the nation sins, there would be sacrifices for the whole nation. And here's David, guilty of bloodshed. He shed the blood of an innocent man to cover up his own sin. That's what we usually do when we point fingers we're willing to assassinate somebody's character to cover up the weakness or brokenness in our own character now you can either say amen good preaching or ouch it doesn't matter either one will qualify and David says, you don't delight in sacrifices. It's not really about the blood of bulls and goats. What you're really looking for isn't a burnt offering, but what you're looking for is my sacrifice, which is a broken spirit, same phrase, a contrite heart, a heart full of repentance, taking accountability and saying, God, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. David says, when I take accountability for my sin, you're not going to despise me. A contrite and broken heart. We cover our sin so we don't lose favor with God. And we don't realize that's the first thing that will cause God to have disfavor with us. Many times our journey to justify what we've done wrong and to try to make it look like I can justify this. They did this, this, and this. That sometimes becomes more egregious or more distasteful in God's mouth than sometimes the sin itself. But David came to the realization that when he actually stands up and takes accountability and says, God, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I did wrong. That God doesn't despise us. We're endeared to him when we humble ourselves and cry out. Amen? Absolutely. So you say, well, Pastor Rob, what's tiramisu got to do with all of this here? Well, I'm getting to it, and I'm about to close, but I'm getting to it. You see, in Psalm 23, David says right from the very first verse, he's like the horse 
at a racetrack bolting out of the gate and the first thing out of his mouth is, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And the Hebrew word for shepherd is raha. And so in Hebrew, what David said is, Yahweh is my raha. I want everybody to say, Yahweh Yahweh is my my raha. raha. The Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God most high, is my raha. How many of you have ever seen a picture of a shepherd with a little lamb? around his neck or on his shoulders. Now there's a story that's been used many times in sermons and it's been told that when, when a sheep is wayward, the shepherd will break its legs and put it around its neck so that it can't run away. That's actually not true. And I'm gonna tell you right now, God doesn't break your legs. No, I'm being honest. Uh, this story has been circulating and people preach it that's not the action of God. It, farmers, shepherds do not break the legs of sheep because they wander. Because if they did, they would have 10,000 sheep on their shoulders. <laughs> Think about it. Juliet's raised sheep in Australia. Sheep wander. I, I, I was fishing one time in, in, in uh, Australia. I was pioneering a church in a town called Dubbo. And I was going up the Bell River. And uh, as I'm going up the Bell River, uh, the river was going through different folks' properties and you're allowed to uh, fish along the uh, riverside. And I'm fishing and on the opposite side was this steep bank, maybe as high as the ceiling. And there were, there were uh, uh, sheep up there. And I could hear them, bah, bah, bah. And I'm watching these sheep and they come to look at me and the leader is looking at me and he steps over the cliff and falls down. And the next one followed him and they all followed him. And there was like 20 or 30 all bowled up. They fell down the cliff, sheep wander. And if the shepherd had to break the sheep's legs because they wander, he would have a crippled flock. Your shepherd doesn't break your legs. You know what the shepherd does? He does put sheep on his shoulder because when he sees a little lamb and he's got a flock and there's a wolf out there or there's a lion out there or the sheep got something in its foot and it's limping or maybe it sustained a broken leg, the shepherd picks up the sheep and puts it on its shoulder. And so whether... You are broken hearted or you're the one who caused a broken heart. But now you've come to a place of accountability and uh, repentance. The shepherd picks us up and in all of our trouble and all of our heartache and in all of our brokenness, he will pick us up and put us on his shoulder and that's the safest place to be because before the wolf can get to the lamb, before the lion could get to the sheep, he's got to get to the shepherd. Now repeat after me again, Yahweh is my Raha. He will pick 
up like a good tiramisu. If you are down, if you are out, if you are broken, or if you were guilty, when we take accountability, the blood of Jesus levels it all out and he picks us up. Hallelujah. Yahweh is my Raha. Thank you, Russell. Russ, thank you, Russ, and everybody else. You see, imagery. I want you to see the shepherd with a lamb around its neck, not because it broke its legs. The shepherd doesn't break the lamb's legs, but because he'll go down fighting and he'll die before the lamb. He comes to pick us up in every situation of life to rescue us and to help us. Some of us are so wounded deep down in our souls because of rejection, because of relationships that we have no explanation for and the other person just left. And those wounds and those hurts sometimes drive us to activity that we know is less than stellar. What I love about God is that I find my father is more human than any human I've ever met. He understands the human heart better than any fellow human I've ever had a relationship with. And while he might be the creator of the universe, he created us out of his humanity. Am I saying that he's a human being? No, I'm saying we are created in his image and what we call human comes out of the heart of God. The best ideals of the human heart are just fragrances, wisps of an essence of who God always is. Amen. Would you stand with me? Praise God. I love having God on my side. But I want to make sure that I'm on his side. I want to make sure that I do everything I can within my power to make and to maintain right relationships. You won't always be successful in the sense of having a two-party agreement. But you will always be successful when you've gone the extra mile and you did what you needed to do. Amen. Amen. God won't hold us accountable for the other person's decisions, but he will hold us accountable for ours. As sons of God, there isn't a one of us that can listen to the news and not realize this nation needs help and the only help that this nation can really get that will make a difference is not in one party or the other party 
but it's in the church of Jesus Christ taking on the fullness of who she is in Christ and starting to move in revival. Revival's not a seven-night wonder. Seven nights of, you know, emotional (laughs) ecstasy. No, no, no. Revival is being revived back to the ways of God and walking according to His Word and according to His Spirit. I'm going to tell you right now that the more we walk according to the Word of God, the more we'll see and hear the Spirit of God. Because when we get our soul into divine order with the Word of God, the Spirit of God who is in us, communing with our spirit, will have no blockage from here to here. And we will hear and we will see in the Spirit. Amen. Father, I pray for these people you gave me the honor to speak to today. Some are hurt. Some are broken. Some go through life limping emotionally. You are the great healer. I know that. I thank you. That you love me and you love us more than we can even love ourselves. And I pray for every person here, not that they will hear this message as a tablet of stone, of rules of what they have to do and not do. But that they will hear this message through the heart of your spirit that moves them into fellowship and relationship with you and with others around them. I pray, Dad, that you will revive this church, us, we're the church, us as people, that you would revive the church of the United States of America. And while the United States of America becoming the divided states of America, I pray that your church will rise up and that we will let go of the things of the flesh and we will no longer allow the world to set our culture in our own hearts and in our own minds, but that we would allow your word to jurisdiction to have jurisdiction over what we think and what we believe to be right and wrong. Holy Spirit, soften us, melt us, move us, bring us back into agreement with our Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you know how to heal hurts. And you know how to forgive those who take accountability for the wrong they've done. Minister even now, today, tonight, let these words echo by your Spirit in all of us so that we will become in tune with you. And everyone said, Amen. If you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, it's the greatest decision in the world. The creator of the universe comes inside of you to recreate your universe. Every one of us is broken, and therefore every one of us needs the creator of the universe to recreate us 
from the inside. And Jesus said, I stand at the door of people's hearts. I'll reason with them. I'll tug on their emotions. I'll lay it down so that they can see it. And by doing so, I'm knocking on their heart. And if they open up, there isn't one that opens the door that I'll say no to. While every eye is closed, while you're watching by live stream or YouTube or any other platform, if you can sense the Spirit of God tugging on you and you've, you've not asked Jesus in your heart, but you're willing to take accountability for things, and you're willing to say, I'm sorry, God, and you want to get it right, Jesus wants to get it right too. He wants to heal you. He's always near the brokenhearted and the contrite. Amen. He doesn't take sides. He stands in the middle bringing reconciliation. If that's you today and you want to get right with God, you want Jesus in your heart, while everyone keeps their eyes closed, would you raise your hands very quickly? Thank you. I see that hand. God bless you. You can put it down. Anyone else? Want to raise your hand and say yes to Jesus. You're not saying yes to me. That'd be a big mistake. But you're saying yes to the one who laid his life down for you. Anybody else want to say yes to Jesus? You want to get your life right. Thank you. You can put your hand down up the back. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. I want everyone here today and those of you that are watching not only are we going to be praying, God, keep softening my heart. We're going to pray with these that have just raised their hands. And we're going to welcome Christ into our lives. Everyone repeat after me. God, I know you love me. You are my shepherd. I take accountability. And I want your life in my life. Jesus Christ, thank you, thank you for understanding me and then going to the cross for me. I accept you. I accept your ways. I welcome your Holy Spirit to come into my life and help me to live. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. To every mom, to every daughter, to every son, every dad, every dad, relationships, they're the easiest thing to break and they're the most valuable thing. Let's be people who are saved not by our own righteousness, but by His. And who now live through His righteousness and keep building righteous relationships everywhere we can. Can I get an agreement? Amen. Amen. Well, I enjoyed cooking up a meal for you today. Uh, by that, I mean this sermon. I trust that the Word, and more than the Word, the Spirit 
and the Word touched you. Let's live according to the Word of God. I'm going to ask the ushers to come. Thank you, Lyd. She's got her tithe offering in front of her, so I don't forget. We're going to receive our tithes and offerings, and we're going to be grateful for the Word of God today. Amen. How many of you feel like the Lord spoke to you somewhere, somehow, today? Amen. Now, we have coffee and tea set up in the foyer. Uh, You can't have a good uh, uh, tiramisu without either a hot drink, cocoa, or tea, or coffee. Uh, Every tiramisu is dusted in cocoa in between the layers and on the top as well. Uh, Jay, do you have that picture of the tiramisu? Can you put it up on the screen? I don't know if it's too late. All right. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Abundanza. (laughs) The abundanza of decadent flavors, riches. Amen. Father, as we receive the tithes and offerings today, bless every gift, but bless the givers. Let them see harvest for the seed they sow. Honor them and bless them in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thank you, ushers. Uh, No doubt there's a number of announcements. See your uh, news uh, bulletins. We'll be restarting Connect Groups very soon. There's probably some information in there about your Connect Groups. We also have a Christmas, Easter festival coming up not far away, the week before Easter. And young people, bubble soccer. It looks so good, I want to go. Amen. All right, guys, have a great day. Have a great week. And we'll see you real soon.